Well, good morning, everybody. This is uh, week six of our conversation about loving one another. Um, the thing that Jesus told us to do, the thing that Jesus said, like, if you're going to be known for something as followers of Jesus, this is the one thing. This is the one thing that you should be known for, not how great your theology is or how great everything else is in your life or not any of those other things, not for pristine buildings. You should be known for how well you love one another. In fact, Jesus said that you should love each other the way I have loved you. And then everyone will know that you're my followers. Now, so we've been talking about all these different one another's. And these one another's are basically following the Greek words that, that Jesus used for one another throughout the New Testament to see where his followers explained what it meant to actually love one another. What did he actually mean by that? So we just explored some of these, and today we're going to explore another one called caring for one another. Now, when it comes to caring for one another, seems like of all the one another's for Christians, this should be the one that's like most natural, right? Like, this should be the no-brainer. Yes, of course, as Christians, we should care for one another. We should live that out. And, and you all have felt that, like that, that urge of like, well, that, shouldn't that just be natural? Shouldn't that just be a natural outcome of who we are, caring for one another? And you've had days, I bet you've had days like this, right? Like days where you just felt like you were with the right set of people that just cared for one another and it was just, it made it a special moment, you know? You, maybe it was like on vacation and you just, you know, you, if your kids are older and vacation is really vacation, right, then you go, man, this is just, it was so special to be with our kids. And if you have younger kids, then it probably wasn't a whole day on vacation, it was like five minutes, there was five minutes of peace where everybody was caring for one another, and it was super special. Or the, it's a day like maybe you were at an amusement park together, and you just you all really enjoyed taking care of each other. And so you think, man, well, should it just be that natural all the time? Should it just ever all the time? Shouldn't we just lean into like we just well, yeah, we just care for one another, and we would like to think it's automatic, and yet we know it's not. How, how do we know this? Well, if you've been a parent, or you're a teacher, or you deal with children of any sort. You know this is not automatic. It is not automatic to take care of each other. What's automatic is to take someone else's toy, right? What's automatic is to whack somebody on the back of the head. That's the automatic response. And you only have to raise children for a little while to fight. Like, what was your kid's first words? No, right? That was their first word. They learned that before mama and papa. No, they learned that because it's, it's not automatic. Even though we would love for it to be, it just doesn't work that way. And you just, have to, you just have to walk around your workplace to see how people talk about each other, to find out that taking care of one another is not automatic. And that's why Jesus says, this is what makes you stand out. This is what the kind of person I'm calling you to be. And if you've ever been, like maybe you've identified with this situation, if you've ever been in one of those situations where someone, someone said, hey, I really care about you, I really do, and then you had a crisis, and you called upon them, and they just they couldn't help you. They were too busy, they just, or they were just absent. You ever had that happen? You were like, oh, gone. I thought they were really cared about me. Or maybe you've been that person sometime in your life where you just, you said this word, shoulda. Like, shoulda came up in your vocabulary. I should have been there for that. I should have taken care of that. I should have made that phone call. And you realize that, Caring, really taking care of each other, it's not automatic. It's something that comes with a lot of intention. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. 
about how is it, what is this intention that we need, and that caring is less about our words and more about our actions, more about what we do. And in fact, this is Paul's message to the letter in Galatians. He writes this letter to a church in Galatia and says, I want you to understand that caring, if we're really going to take care of each other, then we need to choose to do something more special. We need to choose to make this intentional because caring is less about what you say and more about what you do. And if you want to if you want to follow along today and take some notes and see the scriptures, you can open up this little thing that says scoop on it, and inside is an outline. You can follow along and follow along with the scriptures this morning as we dive in. And so so let's, let's talk about what I'm not saying this morning. As we talk about caring less about what you say and more about what you do, I want you to understand that what I'm not saying is that what your words are important, because your words are very important. In fact, every one of us longs to hear some words. You know, I've, as a pastor, I hear about people's family of origin stories all the time, and I reflect on my own when they say, like, yeah, no one actually really, like, no one in my family actually said, I love you. Like, it was just implied, right? Well, that's nice that you imply it, but don't we all long to hear it? Yeah, you long to actually hear the word spoken. And we, we long to hear that throughout our lives, like by people we care about. I love you. You're good at. I'm proud of you. These are phrases that have great meaning to them and impact our hearts deeply. I still remember the first time at 40-some years old that I got an email from my dad. And um, the way... So my mom and my dad, they had the same email account, and the way you could tell my dad sent you an email was by, it was all in caps. If it was all in caps, it was my dad typing on the computer like this, right? And so he would send an email in all caps, and this is what it said, son, I'm really proud of you. And I got that email, that was the first time I ever heard him say that, like, like articulate that all out. Now, he, I'm sure he felt it throughout his life, but the first time he ever said it. You know what happened when I read that email? You know what I did? I wept. I, and, then I, and then I looked around to see how many people were like, like, wait, am I the guy that like, everyone's like, what's wrong with him? Like, you know, I, mean, I wept. It was so meaningful. It was so powerful. So I want you to understand your words matter. But Paul's message to us this morning is that it's about more than just words. Our words ring empty without action. And so in Galatians chapter 5, Paul Paul writes this, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, for doing your own thing, for fulfilling your own needs. Instead, but through love, become slaves to one another. Now, if we really want to understand this passage, we need to understand why it was being written. Who are these people in Galatia? Why was Paul even writing this thing? Because to understand the kind of things that Paul's talking about here, they, there is a whole context of the reason that he was writing this. And so we have to understand who was Galatia. Because he's writing as a missionary, someone who, who was part of the church and then wasn't part of the church, and he hears about the Galatians, and they are just, they're backbiting each other. They're not getting along. Things are going off the tracks. And he is deeply bothered by it. So he writes this whole letter in Galatians, five chapters to address them and say, these are things that are essential that I want you to understand. So let's understand something about Galatia. Galatia is a little town in Asia. It's a little Asia minor town in the first century. And Galatia was a Roman province. So it was made up of probably three or four tribes of different people, Celtics that were there. Where they, were, they were polytheistic. They were pagans. It means they worshipped all kinds of different gods. Their, their natural way of going about, before Paul got there and, and spoke the truth to the church, they, 
their natural discourse was to make, some, make themselves happy even at the expense of others. In fact, that was part of the Roman Empire, right? The whole idea of humility and serving others was not part of first century culture. It was nobility was how do you step up on top of somebody's shoulders to become greater. That was what was noble. That was what was celebrated. And on top of that, they, they worshipped gods and their whole, their whole paradigm for worshipping gods was out of fear. You had to be afraid. You had to make things right. And you had to be afraid of the consequences if you didn't make things right with all those gods. So they lived constantly in this sense of fear of what might happen to them if they didn't do the right things. And sexual promiscuity was not just part of their culture. It was part of their religion. I mean, they would go to the temple and there would be male and female prostitutes at the temple. This was part of their whole experience. And so you have to understand the people that that Paul is addressing when he brings the gospel. And so Paul comes, and he brings the gospel. He brings the the story, the eyewitness account, because he was there of who Jesus Christ was. That Jesus was this guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. That Jesus was this guy who healed people at one after another. That Jesus was this guy that raised people from the dead, and that Paul had seen it with his own two eyes, that he knew it to be true. And the Galatians went, we have never seen anything before this, we've never, no one even claimed a story like this before this. No one has seen it since. And so we believe that God is who he says he is. We believe in this Jesus. And so they accept the forgiveness of Jesus. They get a brand new start. They accept this leadership and they say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to follow Jesus instead of just following our own ways. Trust that he will fulfill our needs. And then fast forward, Paul, Paul leaves because he's a missionary. So he, he establishes this church. This church is born, and it's beautiful. And then he leaves to go spread the gospel somewhere else. Now, in his absence, here's what happens. There are Jewish missionaries during that same time, and they've grown up in the Jewish religion, which was to point towards God, but consisted of a lot of different rules. Now, when Paul preaches the gospel at Galatia, he basically says, listen, You need to love Jesus, you need to follow him, and really this all boils down to one rule. I'm going to tell you what it is. You don't have to live by all these other rules and be afraid of all these things. God's not mad at you anymore. He's not going to try to get you. There's just one thing that God requires. Love him with all of your heart, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. If you can do that, everything else that you want will blossom out of that. That will become your life. So these Jewish missionaries come along. They're super uncomfortable with this whole one rule thing. Galatians is like, yeah, Paul was here. He told us about this. Just if we love God with all our heart, if we just surrender to Jesus' leadership, we, man, everything else will come. No, 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 no. We're, we're pretty uncomfortable with that. There's a lot of rules you don't know about. So we're going to help you out with all these rules. In fact, there is more than 600 rules we want to tell you about. Now you can imagine how this conversation goes down, right? So... Uh, they're telling, they're telling one of the Galatians, so we got, we got these rules, and um, the Galatians are like, well, well, what are these rules? Okay, here's the first one. Once a week, you need to take a break. What, what do you mean you got to take No, once a week, you've you got to take a break, okay? So I don't work once, don't work seven days, just work six? Yeah, once a week, take a break. Sounds pretty good. Kind of like that rule. Let's, let's do that. Okay. Oh, and you can't eat your meat rare anymore. No blood's allowed in your meat, so you've got to have it well done. Like, uh, kind of like my steak, medium rare, but I, I guess I can live with well done, you know? Then get to the next one. And you've got to be circumcised. 
Well, wait, what? What is this new? What is that? I, okay, I don't think this is going to be a good rule. Like, I don't, like if they hadn't bailed yet, then they're, they're starting to bail. And so it begins this whole focus on rules because they said you have to be rules. So here's the problem with rules. And you know this. If you grew up in a place, in a family that had a lot of rules or in a church that had a lot of rules and everybody was focused on the rules, this is something that you know. When you get so focused on all the rules, when you are all about the rules all the time, there is no room and no energy left for relationship, is there? There's no energy. You are, and, and here's the culture that creates. If you're focused on the rules all the time, you go, oh, well, you got to do this, and you got to do this. This is No, no, no. See, loving each other doesn't make you stand out. What makes you stand out is you do all the rules. Then you'll stand out. And so... So what do people do? They start to do all the rules, and you can't, all, you can't possibly get all the rules right. So what do you feel like all the time? You're a failure. I'm always failing at the rules. And so, so when someone says, how are you really doing? What do you say? Fine, fine. Nothing's wrong here. Nothing to see. You know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. It's all good here. Because if I tell you the way it's really going, I'm failing. I'm like, oh. And so there's no energy left to do the one rule. What was the one rule? To love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and strength, and soul, and to love others like you love yourself. No energy for that. And so it's no wonder that those kind of families are the families that, what do you do? When you're, if you're a kid and you grew up in that family, what was the first, your first priority when you got old enough? To get out. To never come back. What's your first, when, when I hear people talk about a hurtful church experience, you know what kind of church they went to? One with lots of rules. This is the problem with rules. And so, everybody tries, and, and here's the thing, like, why do people lean into it? Why do the Galatians who heard the message of Paul and lived in the freedom, see, this is what Paul is saying, I, you've been called to freedom. Freedom from fear of reprisal from God. No longer trying to do all the rules and just hoping that the superior power won't punish you. No, 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 no. Jesus came to abolish all of that and say God is for you. God wants something for you. He doesn't need something from you. He needs something, wants something for you. So just love him. Let him fill you with your love. And your whole life begins to sprout like you want to be like God. You want to do things that please him because you love them. And you know that he loves you. And so here's the problem. Why would the Galatians go back to that? Why would they go back to that fear and why would they go back to following the rules? Because we're all tempted to. Now you know that you're tempted to the same ways. Haven't you ever woken up in the morning and thought, I better get that project done. Oh, man, I better make that sale today. I better handle that situation right because if I don't handle that right, if I fail at that thing, then I am a, you know it, right? I'm a failure. And we all know what people do with failures, right? They discard them. They don't want anything to do with them. They're not loved. So what do we do? We live by the rules. We try to succeed. We drive ourselves. Or maybe you relate more to this. Like, there are certain expectations that people have in your life. I that teacher expects this of me. My parents expect this of me. The people around me expect this of me. My boss expects this of me. And so we live to all these expectations and we have a fear 
of letting people down. Because if we let people down, we will be unacceptable. Who loves someone that's unacceptable? So, we have to make choices. And we're all attracted to this for the same reason. Because, and this is the nature, the very nature of sin. The idea of sin is this. We try to get legitimate needs met. To be loved, to be believed in, to be accepted. We try to get legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways. And so people have tried to control all of this with lots of rules. We just have all the right rules. The problem with the rules is they don't fill our needs. The reason that Paul keeps calling people back to the one rule is because the only way you fulfill your needs is to lean in to the God who loves you. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To receive his love and then to give it away to others. And everything else sprouts from that. This is the only way to conquer all your fears. This is the only way to deal with your needs because otherwise you're trying to get your needs met. So this is what Paul says, right? Paul says this. He says, you were called to freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from this, I got to go get my needs met on my own because no one else is going to take care of me. Freedom from the rules that say, if you don't do all these rules, God probably doesn't like you. Other people probably don't like you. So he says, you're called to freedom. This is what Jesus came to do. In fact, what they were, the Galatians were experiencing was the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. To say, no, I'm going to call you to freedom. What kind of freedom, though? And this is where it gets, this is where it gets tricky, and we have to understand this fully. Is, it says, brothers and sisters, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, an opportunity to do what you need, an opportunity to just fulfill your needs outside of what God wants to fulfill your needs. Because if you just fulfill your needs on your own, guess what you're going to do? You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt others. And when you try to fulfill your needs on your own, do you know where you end up? You say, man, I, I know that I, I have this need to be successful, so I am going to, I'm going to end up hurting people because I need to be successful at any cost. And so I'm going to say things to you or do things to you that doesn't take care of you because I've got to fulfill my own needs. This is why Paul sets this up of self-indulgence is so dangerous. If, if, if I need this need to be loved and to be met and to be wanted, and I don't get that from God, guess what I do? I lean into the pornography, or I sleep with anyone, or it doesn't matter if I'm married or not, I'll just live with anyone, because guess what? i got to fulfill this need. God says, I, I want to fulfill that need. And Paul's warning us that self-indulgence is dangerous because it hurts us and it hurts our relationships around us. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, he says. But through love, become slaves to one another. Okay, now let's talk about this whole slavery thing for a second. Because when you hear the word slavery, you think what? That's bad. Now once you understand, you need to understand why Paul uses this term to the Galatians. Because in the Roman Empire, slavery was very real. You've never had a slave. You've probably never been a slave. And yet, in the Roman Empire, people who were receiving this letter would either have had slaves or been a slave. In fact, slavery was so common, there were different levels of slavery. Some of it was like employment, and some of it was very terrible. And when the Romans conquered a nation, this is what they used to build their empire. And so the people who were reading this, when they hear the word slave, they know very well what that Greek word implies. 
And they knew very well, they would have had a visceral reaction to this of like, I want freedom, I don't want slavery. I don't want to be enslaved anymore to something. I want freedom. And if you really want to understand what Paul's really saying here, you need to understand what Paul says other places about slavery. You need to understand what, what he's really setting up here as the dichotomy. So what we do is when we, when we read the scriptures and we say, what, what does he really mean? We go read other scriptures that help us understand, like, I'm going to take, I don't want to take this out of context. I want to understand what he says other places so I can understand what he says here. And so you have to go back to Romans 6. And you should go back and read Romans 6. Romans 6 basically sets up this thing of saying, you may think that there's this place of independence where you can just, I'm free. And so I don't have to worry about making choices. I'm not a slave to anything anymore. I can just do whatever I want, wherever I want. And this is brilliant. Paul says, it's not true. You are wired so that you will serve and become a slave to something. And here's what I mean. If you don't make a choice into what you're going to serve, you're going to say, well, but I need money. I need to take care of money. Money becomes the thing that you serve. Like, because if your priority, whatever you prioritize in life, right, that goes up the chain, that's your highest priority in life, guess what you're serving? Guess what you choose to become a slave to? That thing. And so if money is the thing that makes you feel most secure, you become a slave to money. Now here's the thing about money. Money doesn't give a lick about you. It doesn't care about what happens in your life. If you, if you think, oh man, the highest thing, I've got to be accepted, I've got to feel love, guess what you do? You serve anything that makes you feel love. This is where addictions come from. So we, we, we begin in addicts of different things. Because guess what? None of those things care for you. So this is Paul's contention in Romans 6. You have to make a choice. And if you don't make a choice, you're making a choice. This is Paul's contention. This is why he says, like, you got to make a choice. By not making a choice, the choice will be made unintentionally for you, and you'll end up serving something you don't want to serve. You will become a slave to something. And Paul's contention is the best thing to become a slave to, the best thing to serve in life is love. Is God's loving rule in your life. By serving God's loving rule, you'll have the very best kind of life that you can have. By taking care of each other, you'll have the very best kind of life that you can have. This is Paul's contention. So when Paul says, "Become through love, become a slave of one another, what he's really saying is, don't, don't use your freedom to make no choice at all. Because no choice at all becomes self-indulgence. Because down deep, you have legitimate needs. And if you're not intentional, about how you fill those legitimate needs, you will fill them somehow. It might not be conscious. You might not even know you're doing it, but I guarantee that there are behaviors that are driven in your life from unconscious needs. This is a, this is a psychological fact in your life. The only choice is what are you going to make a choice about? Are you going to choose love? This is Paul's contention. Will you choose love? Because you are either going to choose to be a slave to sin, and sin and self-indulgence are definitely related because it's really just filling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, ways God didn't intend, or you choose love. And Paul's contention is taking care of one another, loving each other, it's not automatic. You got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. Now, some of you, if you're, if you're really following along and you're really intelligent now and you, you know that rules, like you've got rules in your house and with your kids and, and your teacher, you're working in an environment that has rules, you're like, wait, 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 wait. But we can't have no rules. Come on, Andrews, that doesn't really work. So let me, let's, let's adjust. So in my house, my kids are older now. They're like 18, they're going to college, they still live at home. We still have some rules. 
Now, my rules are a little simpler than they used to be, but I bet you'll recognize them, right? I bet, I bet you'll recognize some of them. Here's one of them. If you mess it up, wow, you guys do recognize these rules. If you put it down, wow. Now, here, here's, here's one of my favorites as it comes to the bathroom. If you fill it up, Right, right? So see, you have these rules too, right? Now, if I, now the, this seems simple, and yet it seems very hard for my sons to grapple with them and to pull them off. And so, and, and I'll include myself sometimes in them too. My wife will tell you that there are, I participate in the kitchen messiness that didn't get cleaned up. She's like, just, there's a sponge, it's just right, it, it's like within a foot, just, just wipe, you know? And so anyway, here's the thing. If I harp on those rules... If I, just, if I just drill those rules down all the time, do my sons feel loved? And if I, and if I really am harping on those rules all the time, let's just, let's just be truthful about this, right? When we harp on the rules all the time, what are we really trying to do? What are we trying to get other people to do? What's our real objective here? It's not love, is it? It's control. Do it my way. Get it done my way. So, so there's a reality here. Those rules, though, are based out of love. Like I tried to make them simple because they really are about loving. So even yesterday I sat down with one of my kids who was having a hard time with, just having a hard day. And I remember, he was not happy about some of the things that I was telling him about. And I said, listen. I said, why does your mom and I do this? Why do they do this? Why? I asked him like a series of five or six questions. He said, because you love me. Because you love me. Of course, by the time he said the third or fourth, he was like, I get it, because you love me. I'm like, okay. Why do we ask you to do these things? To show I love you? Yeah. This is not about rules, son. I mean, but down deep, I'm like, for the sake of your future wife and family, please do these things, right? Like, but I, this is... This is just how we love each other. This is what it really comes down to. This is what Paul is trying to say. If you want to care for one another, it's not automatic. But it has to be rooted in love. Because that's where caring for one another comes from. It has to be made a choice. Because if you don't choose, you will easily go an opposite way. It's too easy to try to just go, to just go the self-indulgent. You might be like, well, I'm not self-indulgent, but if you want to get your way, you're self-indulgent. Any place you want to get your way, it's, just about, it's about self-indulgent, about taking care of yourself. Paul says, don't do that. Caring for one another is less about what you say. It's more about what you do. So I want to call you, so I want to take a minute to call you to a response today because saying and doing, combining these two, it's not easy. In fact, it's pretty inconvenient. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're, Got your, your big boy and big girl pants on, right? You're at work or something, and someone calls you, and you're in a meeting, and it's your kid or your spouse or someone in your family. It's pretty inconvenient to take their call to excuse yourself from a meeting and to love it, isn't it? It's hard. I remember moving some friends a few years ago, and we, 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 I, I went there at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought I'd be done by like 7. And so there's like... Five or five between five and eight of us that are helping to move them, and and you're you're realizing as you go through this, like 
it's going to be a long move. And, it's, and it turns out stuff is heavy. And it gets heavy. Like, the longer you move people, the heavier stuff gets. Both literally and because you're tired. Like, you're waiting. Oh, now we're going to move this really heavy stuff. So we're, we're walking through this. So here's the thing. First of all, when I, when I move people, I get, I get in the zone. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have the zone of, like, moving. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's climb this mountain together. Let's get it done. You go get this. I'll go get this. Let's, you know, let's pack this truck. And every space in the truck has to be used. It's like Tetris. And you, can, you, you do not make two trips. You make one trip. Everything goes in the truck, floor to ceiling. There is not a space unused. You unpack it if you need to to reuse that space. You guys, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So, so we're moving these people. We're working hard at it. And when three hours in, I know it's going to be a long night. In fact, we were ended up being there till midnight. It was a long night. Here's what happens. About five or six o'clock in the evening, like all these people start coming over. Oh, we really care about you. We just came over to say goodbye and how much we appreciate you and care about you. And they're having these conversations at the bottom of the steps when I'm carrying heavy boxes through. And you know what I'm thinking, right? Here, you care about them? Take this one to the truck. I'll, I'll be back with another one, right? Like, I'm not actually saying or doing that, but something in me is bothered about this whole situation, and it's this. It's less about our words. It's about our actions. We need both. We need to appreciate people, and we need to take action. And that's what Paul is calling us to. That's what it means when he says to be a slave to love, because the struggle is real. When you have to put someone else's needs before your own, it gets real. And it brings us back to some questions as followers of Jesus. How did Jesus put your needs before his? Go read the Gospels. How far was Jesus willing to go for the sake of others? These have real implications in our own lives, what we do how we put others first, how much we rearrange our lives for others. And Paul's message is, don't live, use your freedom to live carelessly, but rather care fully. Caring for one another. So Paul, for Paul, boils down to this, Galatians 5.14, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. One rule, one choice to obey. Paul says it's all summed up, it all comes back to this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So let's ask the obvious question. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Some of you are like, well, I hope it's not the guy next door because I really don't like him, right? Like, I, I do not want this to be the guy next door. So, so Jesus, in the Good Samaritan story, actually tells the story about who your neighbor is. And this is what the conclusion of this story, if you go back and read it, is your neighbor is anyone in relational proximity to you who has a need your neighbor. Care for your neighbor. There's a mandate that Jesus says. We need to do that. Paul says this is what it all sums up with. Now, here at Daybreak, I remember um, not just recently this year, um, we had a couple from North Carolina. There was, well, there was a couple from North Carolina. They, they were moving to this area. They came up here, and there was a couple from Daybreak who was sitting across the ta- from the table from them at a steakhouse. And they're hearing them talk, and so they just engage them in conversation because they're hearing them talk about they don't know the area, and they don't know where they're going to move, and this was all very hard. And, and so they just engage them in conversation. This is what they do. They say, could we take you around tonight? We would be willing to show you the area. 
we'll be willing to show you where places are to live. And so they actually take them around and show, like, this is like, they're just there for a hotel for a weekend trying to figure out what they're going to do. And this couple takes them around. And then, after he takes them around and they, they care, they, like, they, they help them get moved in. And then, they invite them to their small group. And this couple is like, We've never been it. They start coming to Dave. We start coming to go to Broadway. They're like, man, I've never experienced anything like this. And this is the conversation they have with me. I don't know. It's, it was probably three or four months in. They say, Pastor Sean, we just want to let you know. Like, I know we at some point are going to move back down to North Carolina, but you guys have ruined us. We, we've never experienced this kind of love before. We have never experienced people who care for each other like you guys cared for us we, this small group, we've never been a part of something like that that's real family, that's spiritual family. Like, this is so different. We could never go back and just go back to what was. Now, you know what my heart is as pastor? That we will ruin people in the best way possible. That we will ruin them so that they'll say, I just can't, I just can't go on living the way I used to. I've got to be a part of taking care of. I've, I've experienced such love of taking care of one another. These people are really, through love, slaves to each other that I have to be a part of that. But here's the thing. You can't be a part of that if you're not in a small group. If you just come on, on a Sunday like this, you're never going to experience that because no one knows you well enough to know your needs so that they can take care of you. You've got to get integrated. You've got to serve. You've got to find some places where you build relational proximity. So you can experience this and let God ruin you in a really terrific way. Because God wants to. Now, this isn't going to happen by accident. This is going to take intentionality. And here's why. Because some of you, now some of you are very natural at this, right? You are a natural care person. I mean, you see a need and you're, whoever is related to you thinks that you don't even know the English language because you're missing the word no, right? Like if someone asks something of you, you're like, yes, yes. Yes, and you're so busy, you can't, you're just stretched thinner than everything, and someone in your life is always telling you, you need to learn the word no, right? So you're just so natural at this. But you need to become something more than natural at it. You need to know when God is calling you to that, because otherwise, you know if you can't say no that you're not taking care of some other people who are in relational proximity, right? One of them's yourself. So there's others of you. You're, you're more on the spectrum, like the, the Sean Andrews spectrum of the way, just my natural state prior to Jesus, which is, listen, people are a mess. They make a mess. They should clean up their mess. Like, stop whining. I didn't see Jesus walk around with a box of tissues. Like, suck it up. Fix it. Like, you're, you know, but this is not the gospel either, right? The gospel is not, Jesus didn't just say, Sean, fix it. Deal with it. He came and died on the cross for me and said, I'm going to fix it so that you can deal with it. I'm going to give you the power to deal with it. Now, some of you might also be in a place where you're like, what about me? Like, I need people to care for me. Who's caring for me? And you're so stuck in that cycle of who's doing it for you that it's been a long time since you cared for somebody else. And you need to hear the words of Paul too, saying, listen, don't Don't use your freedom for self-indulgence, just taking care of yourself, just worrying about yourself, just trying to get your needs filled, but rather be a slave to love to others too. And by doing so, you might just discover the relationships you need that'll take care of you too. 
So how do we do about this? So here's the words that Paul leaves us with. And I, I want to leave you with this. We're not going to read the whole passage, but in the end of your outline, you'll see a passage from Galatians chapter 5 in the message version. And in Galatians 5.16, Paul actually says this. Paul says, listen, I know this is hard. I know this is hard to figure out, so here's my advice. You can either make no choice and live unintentionally, and you're going to end up in self-indulgence. And by the way, here's what self-indulgence looks like. And he goes on and he lists that in that, in that passage. Here's what self-indulgence looks like. Here's how the story ends. Here's what your life looks like. Or he says, you can surrender to love. And you can live by the Spirit. You can invite God's Spirit to give you that guidance so that when you're like, what do I do? Here you go, God, what do I do? I'm going to pay attention to God, how you're moving and what gifts you've given me and how I can help and when I can help. And I'm going to be a slave to love but I'm going to listen to your spirit. And Paul says that's a whole different kind of life, and he actually calls it the fruit of the spirit. And if you look at the fruit of the spirit, you see the kind of life you get out of living that kind of life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the kind of life, so you get to choose. And this is Paul's point. You get to choose. What kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you want to give others? What do you want people to experience when they meet you and be amazed at who Jesus is in you? How does the living Christ become real to you and real in you? By taking care of one another. By making the choice. By being intentional. This is what God calls us to. A life guided by the Spirit. So here's what I, I want to call you to in response today. To pull out this right now from your program guide for a minute. There's a yellow sticky heart on here. There's a response card. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to join you in any way you can. You can fill out that response card. But there's a yellow sticky on here. And here's my challenge to you this morning. Who and what is God inviting you to this morning? I mean, there's somebody in your life that there's a shoulda attached to, a shoulda. There's, there's some situation in life, relational proximity, that you say that you care, but you haven't taken action yet. And you know you need to take action. You know God's calling you today to be a person who takes action, to say, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to start asking God this week, let me, God, will you show me what to do this week? And I'm going to do it. If you don't respond to God this morning in that, you wasted your time and my time and everybody else's time this morning because that's the point. That's what God's calling us to do is make a choice. So I'm going to give you some time to make a choice this morning. Say, God, I don't want to live unintentionally. I want the kind of life you promise and the kind of life I can be a part of others in changing and transforming and making a profound impact and other people's lives, by living by your spirit, by taking care of others. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that, and I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come, and they're going to sing. I just want you to sit in that and make a commitment to God this day. Let me pray. Lord, today, today, Jesus, we see your life, and we are amazed at how far you went to take care of us. And we know, God, that there are places in our life where we have been self-indulgent because we've been unintentional. We didn't know that we had to make a choice, and yet we know that the choice is required. So God, give us the courage. Give us the vision. Help us to see how we could profoundly impact the lives of others. Help us to see how others could be impacted by how we take care of each other. And God, help us to have the courage to profoundly affect others by being a slave to others through love. So God, today, may we love others in our small groups.
really take action and take care of them. May we love others in our family. May we love the people that are in the seat in front of us and in back of us. May we truly make choices today, God, to be driven by your Spirit, to be led by your Spirit, so that we might become servants of one another and leave people in awe of your love. In Jesus' name.